Hey everyone, welcome to Neighbor Science, the only podcast about political economy and anime. I'm Ryan Salisbury. I'm Chris Nivens on remote. Yeah, I'm Reed calling in from the remote Pacific Northwest Neighbor Science uh, Anime Interpretation Division. Yeah, he's uh, Reed is our anime correspondent uh, in uh, Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Yeah, I'm a lot. I'm a lot better than that that shitty uh, anime correspondent you guys had on last time. Oh yeah, that guy was a tool bag. He is kind of a turbo nerd, but you know, uh, we go way back. So. Oh yeah. Oh well. Um, so today we are talking about uh, two topics. Uh, one uh, is uh, political economy, and the other um, is is actually anime. Believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the topics we have tonight are uh, Minamata disease and uh, the anime Mushishi. And mm-hmm. uh, Reed actually came up with uh, a really good way to connect these two uh, in in like several ways. Um, so we're going to start with uh, Minamata disease, because if we flipped it around, it would be uh, intensely depressing to end on. So we don't want to do that to you guys. We want to end on, on a happier note. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, let's, let's get into it. Uh, we have a lot on this. Um, <clears throat> uh, so just to give the, the story, uh, Minamata disease uh, was uh, sort of... Uh, ecological um, poisoning caused by heavy metals in the like uh, from the 30s to the 60s or 70s Um, and uh, one thing that Reed pointed out was that it it really uh, is a good example of how the germ theory of disease is is not really uh, a fully accurate model uh, because there are lots of diseases that are caused by things other than pathogens. Um, <clears throat> and uh, so this is uh, a really good example. Well, not a good example. It's a really powerful example <laughs> that's bad. One of the first uh, examples. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so uh, Minamata disease is a, is a fully industrial disease. Uh, it's 100% man-made. Um, I mean, I guess other than the biological pathways that cause um, heavy metal poisoning. (laughs) Uh, We didn't make those, fortunately. Um, So the background is a Japanese corporation called the Chiso Corporation was operating a chemical plant in Minamata City starting in 1908. Um, By World War II, it was the most advanced chemical plant in the country. And uh, because of the lack of other industry uh, in the area, in Minamata... Chiso became the most important corporation in the city, uh, with Minamata even being called Chiso's Castle Town, uh, which is totally a joke and not a statement on how little social progress has actually been achieved over the last 1,000 years. Um, so it's kind of hard to talk about this because I think a lot of us are really stupid with like chemistry and stuff. Like I, I know very little about chemistry. I did really badly in every chemistry class I ever took. Um, I don't know about you guys. Uh, My lack of chemistry is why I'm single, so that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. I've definitely done badly, and yet I persist uh, stubbornly. (laughs) I I had just, like, a really terrible uh, chemistry teacher in high school that followed me. Uh, She she taught physics the next year, right after I had her for chemistry. I had her for physics the next year, (laughs) so... 
uh, I hate both of those subjects. <laughs> yeah. Well, if it helps, I looked over your notes, and they look pretty solid in terms of the chemistry of Minamata disease, so... Okay, good. Can go on with confidence. <laughs> yeah, what, what did you think about my chemical formulas and the, uh, you know, the, the redux equations? Did oh, they, your did redux you, check equations out? are shit, but let's just ignore that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, organic is not my, my thing, you know, so... Um, <laughs> it's not really anyone's thing, to be honest. Nobody knows how it fucking works. <laughs> well, Chiso definitely doesn't know how it works, uh, because they managed to poison thousands of people uh, with their chemical processes. Um, so the, the chemical that this is all revolving around uh, is acetylaldehyde, which is a precursor to acetic acid, which is a reagent to vinyl acetate, which is a monomer of polyvinyl acetate. Uh, which we know is Elmer's glue. Um, so it's it's basically a really uh, like a primitive part of the chain of producing like wood glue and Elmer's glue and stuff like that. Uh, it's used as uh, adhesive for packaging, book binding, envelopes, wallpaper, uh, as a primer for drywall, and apparently as a base for chewing gum, which uh, I'm not chewing gum anymore after learning that. It's made of plastic. I don't want it. I don't want plastic in my mouth. That's gross. <laughs> it's like I've got, two, I've got two things. One is chewing gum sounds like uh, as bad as killing yourself. And two, um, I'm just imagining a bunch of like school children with something called Elmer's syndrome, and that's basically where my head's at right now. <laughs> hey, I'll tell you what. I I came to uh, to talk about anime and chew bubble gum. Uh, but bubblegum is made of plastic, and that's gross. So uh, I'm just going to talk about anime. <laughs> uh, so the reaction used by Chiso to produce acetylaldehyde uh, used mercury sulfate uh, with organic methylmercury being produced as a byproduct. And uh, I think one of you had something about uh, like how organic mercury is like more harmful somehow oh yeah there's a whole I, I can get into it at any point really but basically with mercury um, there's a whole sort of like uh, range of toxicity of it and it mainly depends on how soluble it is in water and how soluble it is in your body in, in living tissue so mercury naturally occurs as cinnabar ore which is mercury sulfide um, Hey, is that what the town in Pokemon is made of? Uh, probably, yeah. It's kind of like a sulfurous kind of volcanic type of uh, ore. No wonder um, that gym leader is so crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the fucking oh, quick, Pokemon. Quick he burned back. the Pokemon mansion down not because of Mewtwo or whatever. It's fucking... Uh, it's Mad Hatter disease. Going crazy. Mercury poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> what were you going to say, Chris? Quick fun fact: There was um, I forget which which Chinese emperor. I think it was in the like uh, Song or Ming Dynasty, but this this guy was was obsessed with consuming cinnabar <laughs> because they oh, yeah. thought it was because they thought it was going to provide him with like eternal life, and so he was like taking cinnabar as like uh, I think like a uh, a solution of some kind, like in tea, and was just like drinking this shit like crazy. And like crazy is maybe the best way to put it because this guy went fucking insane. Yeah, I've got a little note about that too. Mercury, uh, for some reason, 
it's just like alchemists fucking love mercury. Nothing gets an alchemist hard like fucking mercury just splashing around. Yeah, they go crazy over this shit. Yeah. Uh, and particularly <laughs> their favorite thing to do with it seemed to have been uh, convincing royalty to drink a lot of it and use it for ridiculous purposes. <laughs> um, so there's that emperor you're talking about. Um, what does it say on, on Wikipedia I was looking at? It said uh, that emperor... Uh, allegedly was buried in a tomb that contained rivers of flowing mercury on a model of the land he ruled. Um, and he was killed by drinking a mercury and powdered jade mixture formulated by alchemists. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, I, I also drink mercury and it's to uh, achieve eternal death, actually. So <laughs> That's what he achieved also. <laughs> he hasn't been back since. Seems like a more realistic goal, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, there's also a ruler of Egypt called Tulanid, um, who reportedly built a basin filled with mercury on which he would lie on top of air-filled cushions and be rocked to sleep. Oh, that sounds um, nice. That's yeah. some, like, Peter yeah. Thiel shit right there, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like Peter Thiel combined with, like, the Casper mattress of our day, of their day. <laughs> Wait, so but that was, a, that was an emperor, you said? So how did they get air cushions? Uh, they have, like... They have a guy, like, blowing into, like, a lamb's bladder or something like that? <laughs> Must have been. I mean, they're Egyptians. So they probably got him from aliens, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, fair. I know that I know that the Assyrians would actually use um, inflated uh, animal bladders to use as, like, little, like, swim wings or whatever you call them. <laughs> Get across rivers and lakes to invade <laughs> and conquer other <laughs> lands. So people would be like, we're fine, we have a river, and the Assyrians are like, ha, 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 ha. All right, troops, put on your floaties. <laughs> right, right. They just float across, and people be like, oh, fuck, the Assyrians are actually here. <laughs> fuck those guys, though. I mean, that's got to be pretty powerful back when nobody could fucking swim or... Right, like right. That. Especially in full armor. You're just covered in yeah. fucking goat bladders, and you're like, I'm going to actually skin you alive. But first, I'm going to take these bladders off. Yeah, it sucks that no one learned how to swim until Michael Phelps came around. Yeah, right. <laughs> They're coming to raise the Assyrians are coming to raise your cities and turn your people's bladders into water wings. <laughs> exactly. What a terrible uh, future. Speaking of cultures that interacted with ancient aliens, um, Mercury was also very popular with uh, Central American alchemists who also convinced their rulers to do absurd things with it. Um, archaeologists have found a city. In, from the Maya civilization where there's an entire pool of mercury that was found under uh, like a ball game court for no apparent reason. Probably, yeah, maybe they threw some slaves in there or something. Seems like the <laughs> Just thing dissolve was... them in mercury. <laughs> so they go swimming yeah. in mercury, shoot some hoops, you know, right. go back into the mercury <laughs> to, you know, relax their muscles. That's probably what it was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, yeah, uh... But... <laughs> back to we got a lot uh, to get through, so let's let's get back to it. <laughs> yeah, basically, um, yeah. How back, we were going on that was stuff. yeah. Mercury is not that dangerous when it's in cinnabar, but as soon as it becomes soluble, it becomes more dangerous, um, and so it can move from the mineral form into uh, a mobilized form, where it's just the metal mercury, and that comes in a couple of different like ion states of charge which have varying degrees of reactivity um, it can become gas at near room temperature really easily so that's one of the worst ways to mercury poison yourself is inhaling it 
often uh, you could still do that if you break open a fluorescent bulb. They have mercury in there. Um, I've done that a bunch of times, so that probably explains parts of my personality that uh, were yeah. previously unexplained. <laughs> I was going to say, so worth the party. <laughs> I mean, if you've, yeah, if you've like worked in a, like a store warehouse, you've definitely broken open a fluorescent bulb before. Oh, yeah. Oh, I've yeah. been around those. Oh, yeah. Plenty of times. Um, but the worst form is definitely uh, methylmercury and other organic forms. Those tend to be the most toxic to living organisms and the most readily kind of like taken up into their tissues um, and they fuck with you the most. So that's, that's the TLDR there. Um, and, and another thing with mercury is that it, it bioaccumulates up the food chain. So like, uh, oh yeah, that, that's why like tuna has like a really high level of mercury is because tuna is like a top predator fish. And wow. so it eats all the other fish that have mercury in them and the mercury stays in its body. Yep. <clears throat> And, Pretty, cool. Uh, Pretty cool. Yeah. As we'll find out later, uh, mercury is actually, uh, or methylmercury specifically, is uh, one of the few uh, toxins that, uh, rather than staying out of the placenta, uh, is actually sucked directly into the placenta and out of the mother's body, uh, which is, that's really good. Um, um, Everyone so, loves a mercurial placenta. But, you know, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so in April 1956, a young girl was discovered to have as yet unclassified symptoms. Trouble walking, talking, and having convulsions. Uh, her sister showed the same symptoms only two days later. Uh, doctors went to others' houses nearby and found eight others with the same symptoms. And uh, t just because we talked for so long, uh, this is in the context of Minamata and... Uh, <laughs> The Chiso uh, chemical plant. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah. Uh, so, the government of uh, Minamata and uh, medical staff in the area formed the Strange Disease Countermeasures Committee, committee to investigate. Because they didn't understand how the disease was caused, uh, they pointlessly quarantined the victims, which led to stigmatization by still healthy people. So, like, obviously, since uh, this was caused by heavy metal, it wasn't contagious, so there's no reason to quarantine them. Uh, but when you quarantine people, it makes everyone think that they're, you know, diseased. Like devil children or, or something, right? Yeah. Like, oh, you fucked the devil, and now you have mercury inside you. And <laughs> uh, now so comes mercury. Didn't you know that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so around this time, investigators also <laughs> found other strange happenings in the area. Um, reports of dancing cat disease, which is uh, oh, where cats, like, convulse to death, basically. Oh, never uh, mind, dude. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a cute name, uh, and fuck. then it's not really a cute thing. Uh, poor kitties. I hate, I hate this disease. Uh, there are also uh, crows just, like, falling from the sky, which is really cool. Jesus Christ. Uh, seaweed no longer uh, grew in Minamata Bay, and uh, there were just, like, fish floating around dead on the surface of the water. God damn. So no one noticed That's these things, apparently, uh, before this. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so there's the dead fish, and there's the falling crows, and uh, this is Minamata. Welcome. Um, yes. How much for the? Yeah. Have you seen our dancing cats? Right. <laughs> right. On yeah. They're very passionate cats. Just don't watch them too long. You might see one of them die. That would be dramatic. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so, the doctors brought in uh, Kumamoto University. Uh, Kumamoto is the prefecture that Minamata is in. 
Uh, it's basically a state if you don't know anything about Japan at all. Um, so they brought in researchers from the local university, essentially, and uh, they they discovered the full set of symptoms of Minamata disease, which is uh, ataxia, which means like uh, involuntary movements, uh, slurred or warbling speech, uh, then severe convulsions, coma, and then death. Uh, so they later figured out that the disease was caused by a heavy metal that entered the body through seafood, uh, like the same year. But it wasn't until 1959 that they identified mercury as the cause rather than manganese, which is what they thought previously. Uh, so they discovered at the, at the mouth of the wastewater canal from the, uh, from the Chiso chemical plant, a figure of two kilograms of mercury per ton of sediment was measured, a level high enough to be economically viable to mine. That, that, that's incredible. And uh, incredible. The, the quote that I pulled says, ironically, but I would, I would say disgustingly, uh, Chiso did later set up a subsidiary to reclaim and sell the mercury recovered from the sludge. Fuck. Oh. Yeah. Fuck That's that. really gross. That's really That's disgusting. Gross. Um, That's the so first be- example of greenwashing in history, maybe? <laughs> Possibly, yeah. Um, yeah. So... Uh, they did some testing, and the average non-Minamata uh, Japanese person would have had, like, about four parts per million of mercury in their body. Uh, the average non-symptomatic Minamata resident had uh, 191 parts per million, and those who were symptomatic had an average of 705 parts per million of mercury. Oh, my God. Um, so, because there was mercury and it was, you know, the the biggest industry in the area is Chiso Corporation... <laughs> It was pretty easy to figure out that they were the ones who did it. Uh, but, like a Scooby-Doo mystery where the guy doesn't even have a fucking mask. Yeah. Uh, He's just like, hi, I'm But unfortunately, people. it's really hard to prove that they did it. You have to have, like, legally admissible evidence. Right, like and, if you, for example, set up a mercury mine on the premises and just yeah, decided well, to find I, it. I don't know when that happened, but I'm sure they would have kept that a secret as well. Right, it's right. like, oh yeah, we're, no, we're just uh, recovering wow. something, you know. We just call this liquid silver or quicksilver, which is a <laughs> common name for mercury. <laughs> um, so Chiso was never cooperative with this investigation. It kept the production processes that it used a secret from the researchers, uh, who obviously, re- you know, were trying to steal uh, their proprietary processes to set up their own businesses, right? Um, it uh, secretly moved its wastewater output pipe so that it would be harder, like, people wouldn't know that they stopped dumping and they would continue testing the same waterways and, like, finding, getting, like, different results. Um, And then it even had its factory hospital director run an experiment feeding cats, like, healthy cats, food contaminated by the wastewater. Uh, And the cats developed dancing cat disease within 80 days, at which point the corporation ordered uh, the hospital director to stop and uh, buried the results. That seems like a good idea. Yes. <laughs> so they buried the cats? Buried the results. Rebrand. <laughs> I don't know if they buried the cats, but they did bury the you know, the findings. Uh, so to further shield themselves from having to stop giving people horrific diseases, uh, they actually funded research into alternative causes of Minamata disease, uh, which I think their their prevailing theory was uh, discarded munitions from from World War Two. 
Which I guess is sort of plausible, but uh, obviously not what happened. Um, and they actually had help in doing this from the Ministry of International Trade and Industry and the Japan Chemical Industry Association. So it was like a literal conspiracy. So once uh, once people figured out, like, okay, so this corporation is causing this these diseases, uh, and we have to you know prove it and uh, seek damages from them. Uh, both the uh, the patients that were the victims of the disease and the fishermen of the area that were affected by the ecological problems uh, tried to fight to uh, get some damages. So first I'll cover the fishers. Uh, so fishing production actually began declining in the area as soon as the plant opened in 1908. So the fishers had a, like a long established cause uh, in, in fighting this. So uh, fishers sought compensation from Chiso uh, through their fishing cooperative. Uh, I think it was the... Uh, I, I can't remember the name. I didn't write it down. Anyway, it's a cooperative. <laughs> uh, in 1926, uh, Chiso agreed through extra-legal negotiation to pay 1,500 yen in sympathy money, uh, which I uh, I calculated to be uh, equivalent to uh, uh, 5,600 uh, 2018 U.S. dollars. Uh, and in this agreement, they had to admit no fault, which is why they called it sympathy money. Um, and they, they even tried to include a clause in the agreement that the victims would never again seek compensation from Chiso, which is uh, something we'll see a lot. Uh, so they, of course, did not stop polluting. And in 1943, uh, they again paid uh, 150 thousand yen to the fishing co-op uh which is roughly equal to one hundred ninety-eight thousand dollars in today's dollars uh so part of the agreement included an acknowledgement to chiso's quote importance to the prosperity of minamata and quote the need to cooperate so as not to harm its operations oh yeah love to cooperate with people who are poisoning me that's my favorite yeah honestly yeah Yeah. (laughs) i'll just lie back and drink it yeah. I guess uh, they are important to the prosperity of hospitals who, you know, have to treat way more patients uh, because everyone is dying. So, Right. Dying people right. are job dying creators. Are job creators. Yeah. They're creating yeah. a lot of uh, openings in uh, nursing homes and kindergartens. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Competition, you know? Right. You know, my favorite horseshoe you know, theory, theory is that uh, young is people that and old people, people, and old people are, people are basically the same. Uh, the further young or old they get. That's true. Especially when it comes to, like, like, disease. (laughs) Yeah. On the happy side of that, I I read about one time, like, a a nursing home. It's sort of like the uh, Pizza Hut and Taco Bell of nursing home, but it's a nursing home and a kindergarten combined in Japan. So... (laughs) basically like a preschool where little kids hang out and the old people come and play with them and both of them are happier for the experience like the old people feel less uh depressed and miserable and the kids i either heard about that or like thought of it because i saw something about like uh you know little kids playing with old people or and vice versa and i was like man that's that's what they should do with nursing homes just put the little kids in there old people love little kids <laughs> It's honestly a good idea. Then it'd, be, then it'd be twice as fun to work at a nursing home. 
Yeah. <laughs> then you'd be a daycare worker. You get to clean poop and... from two age groups. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Horseshoe theory. So uh, between 1953 and 1957, uh, fishing production declined by 91%, which was like uh, much more rapidly than usual. This was like around the time they started using that mercury process. Um, so uh, in 1956, the government of the Kumamoto Prefecture uh, banned the sale of fish from Minamata because uh, they did discover like some amount of toxicity in the fish. Like they acknowledged that 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 existed, but they didn't connect it at all to Chiso Corporation or... Because the fish had dancing cat disease. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it, actually, it's technically called dancing fish disease when it's fish. <laughs> uh, just a little medical term that I know. Yeah, it's basically like the uh, the Little Mermaid down there. If you, if you go and investigate. <laughs> Under the sea, you know, it's very nice. Um, so... The government banned the sale of fish, but didn't ban fishing, uh, which meant that uh, the fishers of the area weren't covered under uh, these regulations, uh, the Fisheries Law and the Food Sanitation Act. So, like, if they had banned fishing completely, they could have, like, sought compensation from the government government from their, um, you know, disrupted source of income. Uh, but because they just banned the sale of it, uh, it just meant that the fishers, like, couldn't make a living and uh they basically like had no choice but to eat the fish that they were catching so that they could you know not starve to death jesus christ um so like at no point during this entire crisis did the government ban fishing from minamata bay um and uh we'll we'll see consistently throughout this story that uh it's not just the corporations that are horrifically evil here it's the government as well uh, both of them are just doing the absolute worst possible job. I mean, it's basically just kind of a ongoing theme with Japan where uh, they're the country that gets so repeatedly fucked up by industrial pollution and government cover-ups that they had to invent, like, Godzilla to talk about it in pop culture. <laughs> yeah, right, right. What's an appropriate parable for this level of fuckery? <laughs> let's, let's create a gigantic nuclear lizard toppling Tokyo. <laughs> Um, Okay, so on August 6th, 1958, 400 members of the fishing co-op marched into uh, Chiso Chemical Plant uh, to demand that Chiso clean Minamata Bay, install wastewater treatment systems, and give 100 million yen as compensation to the victims, uh, which is equivalent to about $567,000. The plant uh, counter-offered uh, 500,000 yen, which is the equivalent of uh, $2,800 uh, in what they called emergency sympathy money and a promise, a, pu- a promise to talk to the Chiso head office in Tokyo. Nice. Um, so, a uh, promise. yeah, exactly. So obviously they didn't take that. Um, and the fishers forced their way into the factory again on twelfth uh, on the 12th of August, uh, six days later. And, um, so they basically argued the whole time. Uh, nobody agreed on anything. And then uh, they they finally agreed to do an inspection of the fishing conditions in the area. And Chiso uh, management admitted that fishing was impossible in some areas. 
Um, and then gave a final offer of 13 million yen in sympathy money, which is about $73,000. Uh, so the tiny amount was an insult to the fishers, and uh, things uh, got violent. Chiso employees called the police, and uh, the fishers uh, took them hostage until the mayor offered to mediate the conflict, uh, which is pretty cool, I think. Not very kawaii of them. <laughs> It was kawaii as opposed to kawaii. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, that's true. <laughs> kawaii, yeah. Uh, so typical of government mediation, uh, it was heavily in the state in the state's favor, as in like the business's favor. And within two weeks, uh, the government decided on compensation of twenty million yen, uh, which is about one hundred thirteen thousand dollars, and a fifteen million yen fund to clean up Minamata Bay. Uh, and again, $85,000. So yeah, 20 million yen uh, in compensation and 15 million yen fund to clean up the bay. Uh, and the fishers like obviously wanted more, but uh, their response was, in order to end the anxiety of the citizens, we swallow our tears and accept. Which I think is a really uh, poignant statement uh, from them. Uh so at this point, Chiso had moved the wastewater output from Minamata Bay to the mouth of, I think it was Minamata River. I meant to check that and never did, <laughs> uh, which meant the effects of the uh, pollution spread even further. So in October of that year, uh, 1958, uh, 1,500 fishers made their way to the chemical plant and demanded to negotiate with the corporate office. Uh, the factory managers refused. So the workers barged in and smashed up the security booth in the chemical plant. Hell yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, <laughs> the office told them that they couldn't prove it was Chiso causing Minamata disease, so uh, essentially they could go suck eggs because they have no power. So with no power against the corporation, uh, they went to the government and got members of the Japanese Diet, which is their equivalent of parliament or congress, uh, to promise and co to come and investigate Minamata. Uh, so they actually did uh, go to investigate, and when they arrived, uh, they were greeted by a demonstration of 4,000 people uh, who uh, pleaded for their help and uh, really, you know, thought highly of them, thought that they were, you know, there to help them. Um, so emboldened by this, the Fishers uh, kept up pressure on uh, Chiso by marching to the factory again to demand no negotiations. Uh, with, with the corporate office. So once again, they were refused, and again, their response was uh, smashy. Uh, <laughs> so they, they basically started a, a big-ass riot. It's going down.org. <laughs> um, I think I saw that on their report back from that smashy. Um. <laughs> so, uh, so in this riot, the Fishers definitely won. Uh, they had only 30 to 40 injuries uh, whereas the cops had uh, 64 injuries and uh, three Chiso employees had injuries. Uh, and they also injured the chief of police, which, uh, good yeah. job. <laughs> uh, so they, and, and also they caused uh, 10 million yen in property damage. Perfect. Owned. Owned. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the riot turned out to be really effective, uh, contrary to what the liberals would have us believe, uh, because it was a really sensational story covered by the national news, uh, which brought Minamata disease to national attention for the first time. 
so because of that, another mediation committee was formed, this time by the Kumamoto Prefectural Government, uh, which was headed by the governor. Uh, so the Prefectural Fishing Alliance, I think it was the, the Kumamoto uh, Fishing Alliance, or Fishing Co... Yeah, something like that. Uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, mm-hmm. Demanded uh, 2.5 billion yen, uh, which is about $14 million in compensation for past and future damages, uh, for the and for the plant to be temporarily closed for toxic sludge removal. Uh, Chiso counteroffered with, uh, fuck you. Um... <laughs> But under pressure, uh, the alliance uh, reduced their demands to 980 million yen. Um, And once again, the uh, mediation body from the government came up with another shit offer. 35 million yen uh, minus 10 million yen for the damages caused by the riot, which, like, why, why do they have to pay the full damages for the riot, but, like, the corporation doesn't have to pay the full damages for killing a bunch of people. Killing people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so 25 million yen in compensation. Ah. Uh, the installation of wastewater treatment and a 65 million yen fund for fishery recovery. Uh, the agreement would also prevent the fishers from ever seeking compensation again, even if Chiso were proven to be the cause. So, like that thing I said earlier. Uh, however, the Fishing Alliance uh, accepted these terms because I guess they didn't think they were going to get anything better than that. It's basically like signing a no-strike clause in your in your contract or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and another thing about that whole, like, even if they were proven to be the cause thing, is, like, they didn't even bother to investigate whether or not Chiso was actually the cause. Like, they mm-hmm. could have easily done that. They could have just, like, said, oh, yeah, like... Uh, you know, we're government inspectors. Uh, we're going to investigate whether you're murdering people or not. <laughs> so that was the the compensation for the fishers. Uh, so that did not include any compensation for the actual, like, victims. Like, the people who actually got poisoned. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, the fishers, like, lost their livelihood, which is bad for them. Uh, but it's not nearly as bad as being poisoned to death, uh, which is what happened to a bunch of other people. Uh, so the the victims of the disease, who were far less numerous than the fishers, and also ostracized from society for their disease, which is like a normal thing, really, mm-hmm. um, had little power to demand any compensation. Uh, their only advocate was the Minamata Disease Patients, Families, Mutual Aid Society. Mm-hmm. Just kind of cool mutual aid society sounds rad that, that is pretty cool yeah um so in uh november 1959 members of the mutual aid society tried to petition the prefectural prefectural government uh to no avail they then tried to petition chiso demanding 234 million yen about 1.3 million dollars in compensation uh chiso gave their standard reply of prove it fuck you and yeah. the Mutual Aid Society started a month-long sit-in at the plant. Hell which, yeah. Uh, yeah. W- definitely more liberal than uh, smashing up a bunch of shit, but uh, probably pretty effective still. Yeah, it's, har- it's a bit harder to smash things when you have mercury poisoning, I think. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you could just let your ataxia go wild, I guess, but, uh, you know, I don't know. Is that ableist? I don't know. 
Just turn a bunch of cats loose on the place and uh, sneak <laughs> yeah. in while everybody's distracted by the dancing. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Later on, 50 members of the Mutual Aid Society went to the prefectural government to try and be included with the uh, negotiations that were ongoing uh, with the, the fishing co-op. So this was kind of happening like at the same time as all the stuff with the fishers. Um, so in that agreement, they managed to secure uh, some, some compensation. They got a victim fund uh, that was very strict. Uh, Patients had to be certified by a government committee before collecting any damages from the fund. Uh, and the damages were only 100,000 yen per year per adult, 10,000 yen per year per child, and 320,000 yen per dead family member. So the amounts for that in U.S. dollars are $527 per year per adult, $52 per child, and $1,700 per dead family member. So, like... Basically nothing, really. Yeah. That's just child play. Yeah. And as usual, Chiso uh, did not have to admit fault. Fucking hell. Yeah. Um, so after this was a period of which is called the 10 years of silence in Japanese history, from 1959 to 1969, there was like no major developments in terms of actions against the government or the corporation. Hmm. Um, so the wastewater treatment system that they installed in the agreement uh, was actually known by Chiso Corporation to be totally ineffective. Uh, they staged a demonstration in the public to, uh, pr to prove its e efficacy by having the president of Chiso Corporation drink a glass of supposedly treated wastewater, uh, but it was not a glass of treated wastewater. Uh, oh. It was just a regular glass of water. Oh. Uh, so the residents believed their sham and thought things were back to normal. Uh, but things uh, continued uh, to be bad. So another thing that happened in during the 10 years of silence is uh, the prefectural government uh, did mercury testing of residents in 1960. So supposedly one year after uh, the mercury pollution stopped. Mm -hmm. and uh, found that many residents still had neurotoxic levels of mercury in their body. Uh, but they and yet did not... none of them were CEOs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Somehow. Uh, and uh, they, they did not publish these results or do anything about them. Mm. So they just found, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, people are definitely getting nerve damage from mercury, but eh, oh, whatever. Sure. Um, so... Local doctors noticed uh, later on that there were abnormally high rates of infant disorders like uh, cerebral, cere bleh, bleh, cerebral palsy. Mm -hmm. I've never been able to say that. <laughs> cerebral palsy. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so, as I alluded to earlier, it was unknown at the time that unlike most toxins, methylmercury moves out of the mother's bloodstream and into the placenta. Uh, so they had ruled out uh, mercury poisoning, but mm -hmm. uh, or not mercury specifically, but like uh, poisoning in general, like toxins as the cause of this. Uh, so they didn't figure it out for a while because they thought that it could not have been a an, like an environmental toxin like mercury. Um, but then later on, there was uh, another outbreak of 
something extremely similar to Minamata disease in uh, Niigata, mm-hmm. uh, which was caused by uh, another corporation called Showa Denko, uh, which is another chemical company using uh, another mercury-based process uh, to produce... Uh, well, I didn't see which chemical it was, but probably the same thing. Uh, and then uh, two other industrial diseases... Uh, one which started in like 1918 called Itai Itai syndrome, which was a, a form of, I think it was cadmium poisoning. Oh, Jesus. Um, and uh, Yokaichi asthma, which was, uh, oh no, that was the, that was the cadmium poisoning. Yo- Yokaichi asthma was caused by the opening of a petrochemical complex. Uh, and there was like airborne cadmium that uh, gave people asthma like within a year of it opening. Um, Itai Itai syndrome. I'm not really. I don't really remember what it was, but uh, yeah, it, it started in 1918. But they didn't. Uh, they didn't get any lawsuits going until the 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, Minamata disease, uh, Niigata Minamata disease, Itai Itai syndrome, and Yokaichi asthma uh, came to be called the four big pollution diseases of Japan, um, and that went into like national prominence and so there began to be like a unified movement against uh pollution by corporations by the public um and so there was a series of lawsuits in uh 68 uh onward um so the lawsuit against chiso uh which i i think was in 1969 uh declared uh the previous sympathy money agreements invalid and uh, ordered them to pay 18 million yen for each patient. And I don't think I got that amount, actually. Uh, so I'll, you know, you can look it up. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was basically the fight against Chiso. Um, there was also some other... Uh, there was another interesting development. In, uh, in 1960, or sorry, in 1974... Uh, a net over a mile long was put around Minamata Bay to keep fish out because the fish were still toxic. Um, and it remained there until 1997. So, what is that, 23 years? Um, and supposedly it's safe to eat the fish there now. I don't think I would, but. <laughs> <laughs> Again, dancing fish syndrome. There's just no going back from that. Yeah. Yeah. Um,. So as of 2001, uh, 2,200 people were officially certified victims of Minamata disease, uh, although uh, over 17,000 have applied. Um, and part of the reason for that is because uh, the committee that is supposed to certify the presence of the disease um, used, rather than like the symptoms that they specifically uh, came up with, uh, for Minamata disease, uh, they used, I can't remember what it's called, but it's basically like there was a, a British industrial disease that was also caused by mercury, mercury, and um, they used the symptoms for that disease as the criteria to certify people with Minamata, even though it's not necessarily the same exact thing. Uh, so probably quite a f- quite a lot of those 17,000 people actually have the disease, but uh, the government is preventing 
the corporation from having to pay them any damages for getting it. And of course now, uh, they're Chisa totally Corporation just faking it. I'm sure, right? Oh yeah, they're, yeah, they're totally faking it for sure. And uh, so yeah, as of now, Chiso Corporation still exists, although uh, Mitsubishi Chemical Corp is now the largest chemical company in Japan. I think they're not even in the top ten or top five or anything like that. Um, but lawsuits against Chiso and the uh, the Minamata and Kumamoto governments are still ongoing today. So, 50 years later, uh, still an, uh, an unsolved problem, which is pretty crazy. Jesus Christ. An unsolved problem, and yes. It, it, Mystery, no. <laughs> yeah, and surely in those 50 years, uh, the government and various corporations have certainly done nothing to uh, add to the backlog of uh, cases of environmental uh pollution and poisoning right definitely haven't added any new ones they learned their lesson oh yeah everything's fine now <laughs> everything's fine um so i actually thought that was going to take way longer um do y'all have anything to add that that you read any more explanations about mercury and how it works i've got i've got a few more things on mercury i could do sure basically Minamata disease was one of the first instances where it was pretty irrefutably, um, you know, observed and proven the way that like mercury behaves in industrial processes, specifically like methyl mercury. And so, uh, since then, processes that like you know release methyl mercury have been more tightly regulated and banned. But that doesn't mean uh, mercury poisoning isn't. Um, ongoing and it isn't being released into the environment and poisoning people in other ways. Um, and fun fact too, uh, with methyl mercury, it's not only produced industrially, but it's actually uh, it can be produced naturally. There are microorganisms, um, usually in the sediments at, at the bottom of uh, you know oceans and rivers, um, which are able to metabolize mercury. Um, and transform it into more toxic and less toxic states, um, kind of depending on what they're feeling. Um, so first of all, microorganisms can, uh, when they're in anoxic conditions without oxygen, um, down at the bottom of some, you know, fucking scummy bay or whatever, uh, they can metabolize the sulfur um, from cinnabar and use it uh, to produce energy for themselves. But the byproduct of that is that it solubilizes the mercury and mobilizes it, basically releasing it into the environment where it joins uh, a wonderful cycle, which I'm sure you were all missing knowing about in your life, called the mercury cycle. <laughs> um, and once, once, once mercury enters the mercury cycle, um, bacteria can do all sorts of fun things with it, um, including turning it into methyl mercury. Um, which then enters the food chain and starts accumulating. So um, it's, it's observed in places where even there is, there is no industrial mercury pollution. Um, there's just natural kind of like seeps of mercury where there's bacteria playing around with it. Um, but when uh, industrial contamination gets involved, it tends to throw the entire uh, balance totally out of whack. And so a lot of these um, microorganisms can either 
they can either be helpful, um, like they can help kind of uh, immobilize mercury pollution by turning it back into a mineral, but they can also take it and say, oh, this is fun, let's make it more toxic, <laughs> um, if, if like uh, metallic mercury is being released. Uh, so that's really exciting and great. Uh, there's kind of some fun like microbiology details about that. I mean, mercury is incredibly toxic to literally every form of life. It messes with um, these particular set of uh, enzymes, which are dependent upon the element selenium. Mercury basically copycats the selenium and permanently binds to the enzyme, making it totally useless. Um, and the enzymes um, are really important for a lot of neurological functions and just like very basic stuff like uh, DNA reproduction. Um, so it seriously fucks you up and it's permanent. It just destroys the enzymes of basically any living thing from bacteria up to humans. Um, so that's great. Damn. But there are some bacteria which um, have genes which uh, confer some resistance to mercury by allowing them to safely detoxify it and kind of like shuffle it, al shuffle it along and make it safer for themselves to use. Um, and they so with, with that gene, they can reduce highly ionized forms of mercury, and they can also use it to remove organic and uh, they can remove carbons and chlorines from it. Um, and even eventually return it back to a mineral state. Um, interesting thing about those genes is that they're found encoded on plasmids, which are circular packets of DNA which bacteria are able to transfer horizontally between individuals and even between species. Um, so plasmids are just these kind of little DNA loops. Because in, in a bacteria, DNA is just sort of like floating around in the whole thing. They haven't got a nucleus or So anything. we just need to gain their power somehow. Yeah, basically bacteria can uh, eat each other's plasmids or they can leave them behind in the environment when they die and other bacteria just scoop them right up and incorporate them into their genome really easily. Um, so mercury resistance can uh, basically like going into an environment. We should become bacteria, I think. Pretty much. Well, there, there's some interesting bits about that too. Like, um, So since it's encoded on a plasmid, it's very uh, self-contained. It's easy to find the gene in the environment just by doing uh, sampling and then uh, using some like genetic techniques um, to be able to detect it. Um, and it also makes it very easy to transfer into non-bacterial organisms uh, via genetic engineering, um, which has some interesting implications for restoration um, of mercury. Um, I've got a little bit on that, which is kind of neat. So there, um, it, basically with heavy metals, any kind of heavy metal pollution, uh, you run into a different problem than you do with organic uh, toxic waste, which is that there, it's just elements, and you're not going to be able to get rid of them. With organic wastes, you can at least eventually somehow find a way to break it down into basically carbon dioxide and water or something less toxic. Um, but with metals, right. you're just stuck with the metal. So the only things you're able to do with it are um, either immobilize it, make it harder for it to move around by turning it back into a less soluble mineral form, or picking it up and moving it somewhere else, or uh, preventing it from moving around. Um, so, like, remediation techniques for mercury pollution are, um, it's not easy, but there's a lot of 
interesting research in terms of bioremediation using living organisms to deal with it um, that actually play on its tendency to uh, bio if it were me I would simply take all the mercury and put it in a cave somewhere yeah yeah it doesn't nobody's ever tried to I think well actually those Aztec guys were doing the uh, the mercury cave weren't they beneath their ball court um, maybe that's what they're up to um, yeah yeah but uh, they're smart yeah very smart uh, they learned it from aliens but yeah basically remediation um, takes the principle of bioaccumulation that makes everybody sick um, by finding organisms that accumulate mercury in their tissues at a much greater concentration uh, than other organisms can um, and so they they'll plant them on a contaminated site and they can draw the mercury out from the soil and then you can harvest the plant or the mushroom or whatever it is and move it somewhere else that you want to concentrate the mercury. <laughs> um, and so oyster mushrooms are particularly good at it. Where you want to concentrate the mercury. Yeah, <laughs> somewhere out of the way, hopefully. Um, yeah, the delay is annoying, but uh, yeah, oyster mushrooms are sort of the classic um, mercury accumulating fungi. Um, really? Uh, which is a bit inconvenient because they're very tasty really? and people like to eat them. Um, but they've been found to bioaccumulate um, up to 140 times the concentration of mercury found in the soil. Oh, fuck, man. Um, Those are great. And also, the king oyster mushrooms the, uh, are really good for making, like, vegan scallops. Oh, yeah, they're fucking delicious. Eat that yeah. shit up. But if you see, like, silver liquid leaking out of them, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't go for it. A little bit of uh, balsamic vinaigrette de mercury. But uh, um, so we, the other organism that bioaccumulates mercury at a uh, hmm? oh yeah the other organism that bioaccumulates it at a uh, much higher rate is tobacco um, also very convenient plant to accumulate mercury in if you think about it you're saying this like right um, as I'm taking a big drag off my vape that's what actually adds to yeah yeah it's, that's what part of Part of the uh, many, many things that go into making tobacco uh, bad for you um, is that they find all the available mercury in the soil they're growing and then they suck it right up. Yummy, yummy. Um, but on the flip side, it, um, so, uh, some researchers have found a way to incorporate the bacterial uh, gene which confers mercury resistance into a tobacco plant. Um, so what that does is it allows the tobacco plants to grow in soils with concentrations of mercury up to 500 parts per million, um, which basically nothing else can grow in. And so they'll use these tobacco plants to be able to uh, stabilize the soil, basically just keep the dirt on so that... Um, As a reminder, the Minamata victims had 700 parts per million concentration in their, in their hair. Jesus Christ. Ugh. Yeah. Couldn't even grow a tobacco plant in them. Yep. <laughs> so uh, here's my idea with uh, the tobacco plants. What if we grow tobacco in extremely mercury poisoned soil and then uh, make it into cigars for rich people? I love that idea, Ryan. <laughs> I'm way into that. We could call it uh, like the Imperial Cinnabar cigar. Oh, yeah. That brand. That brand. I love that. Um,. But yeah, those are... Cohiba Mata. <laughs> Woo! 
Those are both great techniques, but the downside is it doesn't actually do anything about the mercury. It just moves it around. And in the case of the tobacco plants, it basically just keeps the soil on so wind and water don't erode it somewhere you somewhere else like into your drinking water. Ah, well, okay. <laughs> yeah, and additionally, the... It doesn't make paintball guns that shoot actual mercury bullets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shoot... Shoot mercury paintballs at the rich. I'm for it. <laughs> that would be a fitting end for the uh, CEOs of Chiso Corporation. Just oh, yeah. mercury yeah. paintballed to death. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We yeah. can dunk on them as we dunk them into pools of mercury. It really doesn't take that much uh, concentrated liquid methyl mercury to kill somebody. One of the classic cases of mercury poisoning was uh, this professor at Dartmouth called Karen Wetterhan who researched mercury toxicity and one day she spilled just a drop or two of liquid dimethyl mercury on her latex gloves and mercury goes straight through latex gloves so it doesn't do shit to protect you um, and then she be began experiencing symptoms and started losing her sight and her uh, motor skills and died five months after that, that is absolutely frightening because it. <laughs> it, it hits your skin and enters your bloodstream immediately yeah uh, <laughs> And apart from terrible... So methylmercury is kind of like what, what cops think fentanyl is, basically. Yeah, pretty much. It's, I mean, it is fentanyl. Don't tell anybody, but <laughs> fentanyl is actually just methylmercury. That's, that's the truth they don't want you to know. Yeah. Um, so we have uh, some other examples of environmental diseases that we can mention. The, I think the most obvious being uh, lead poisoning. That's the most nationally prominent one here. I mean, like, uh, the examples for that are, like, not only uh, Flint, which most people know, uh, like the, the the Flint water poisoning crisis, uh, but apparently that's, like, a problem in, uh, like, a significant part, like, in significant portions of the U.S. And then um, on top of that, there was the whole... Uh, situation of having uh, leaded gas for like decades that led to like airborne lead poisoning and like the vast majority of people that's why we have the fucking boomer syndrome you know all the lead poison boomers uh, and the gasoline fucking up our entire yeah I wasn't sure country. if that was real or if that was just like a mother Jones theory like Kevin Drum's pet theory of how violence is caused uh, I don't even know anymore there's something wrong with him man I don't know what like I remember reading that that whole thing like uh probably in like 2010 about how like uh oh yeah because of of leaded gas uh causing this airborne pollution like uh that's actually like the cause of of the like spike in violent crime uh during like the mid mid to late 20th century. I don't know about that or not if that's true or not but I'm pretty sure that the the most dangerous potent combo is boomers with a high concentration of lead in their body getting on Facebook. <laughs> something yeah. about the synergy between the two. Well, again, it is. Yeah. it was Mother Jones, so I don't know how true it is because, I mean, if you go by the record now, it probably is not, but I don't know. Maybe they were better before? I don't know. Um, I think we could also, like, in the category of, of ecological diseases, we could we could include just, like, cancer in general. Uh, you know, most cancers are caused by environmental pollutants. 
Um, there's, I mean, there's some that aren't, but uh, I, I really would say I like a lot of them but, are, uh, and I, I would say, like, you know, they are made worse are, by human activity. Are made worse by human activity. Yep. When you really get down to it, um, the vast majority of all preventable deaths on the planet come down to humans getting exposed to bad air, bad water, bad soil, bad food, and unhealthy lifestyles, which uh, elevate levels of stress and anxiety. And that's like the primary causes of all uh, like major diseases that always hit the like top killers list. Things like heart disease, lung disease. Uh, depression and anxiety, stress-related, physiological, psychological disorders. Um, Diabetes. And even some people suspect, you know, like allergies and autoimmune diseases. Yeah. Yeah, you you mentioned that point earlier when we started talking, the the shift, right, in um, theories of uh, disease. Yeah, yeah, the germ theory, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the germ theory, yeah. Yeah, I mean, diseases are still caused by germs, but... Uh, since like the 20th century happened and basically industry fucked over the entire planet 10 times as hard as it had before ever in history we started to discover that uh, actually a lot of diseases have more complex causes that are primarily ecological you know it has to do with yeah, I mean, I was, chemicals uh, and reactions that were kind of promoting yeah, I mean, the environment I, I was thinking about this um, you know like even diseases that are caused by germs are still ecological because like those germs are omnipresent. It's just that at a certain point they get above a concentration, you know, necessary to actually like affect the body. And a lot of times, like uh, in the case of another example that we have, the black plague, it was like the reason it was so deadly is because of urbanization and poor sanitation, which like, you know, they were both concentrating the population of, like, the disease's food, essentially, and uh, not having enough, uh, like, repellent for the disease. Yep. And, I don't know, a little bit of hint, hint, spoiler, spoiler, but that's kind of the theory of disease that, like, the protagonist of Mushishi is working with is he's, like, solving cases across... Uh, rural pre-industrial Japan. Yes, um, That's yes. kind of why we decided to connect the uh, two ideas, yes. right? Yes. 